Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Fizz Radio is back. Matt Bonaparte and Carter Bainbridge with you. Carter, stepping in for Jaron May this week on your first ever Fizz Radio. What do you expect this week? Well, Matt, I'm not entirely sure. I'm about as excited as I can be after a pretty rough weekend of Syracuse sports, right? Football, men's basketball, and the pretty women's. Bad. And the bad bad trifecta right there. Yeah, it was tough. Uh, for all Syracuse fans, it was not entirely ideal. We're recording this on Wednesday prior to Syracuse's game against uh, VCU in the battle for Atlantis. So we'll talk a pit preview about the Saturday game, Syracuse football plays, and then we'll give you our thoughts on Colgate and the rest of the Battle for Atlantis that we have to come. We'll give you a, a little snippet from an interview I did with John McGonigal of the Pitt Post-Gazette, who previews Pitt a little bit, and then we'll get to Fizz feedback and fictional Fizz, as we always do. All right, let's hop right into it. This Pitt team is pretty darn good. Everybody knows that. Kenny Pickett, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, some anonymous NFL execs saying he might be the first quarterback off the board in the NFL draft. The dude slings it like no other. I think he's going to probably kill the Syracuse secondary. How about you, Carter? Yeah, I do too. I mean, as unfortunate as it is to say, Syracuse's secondary is the weakest part of their defense. I don't think there's any question about that, right? They, Cody Roscoe and the boys on the defensive line, you got a really top-heavy but also talented linebacking core there with Mikel Jones and uh, Marlo Wax as well. And Kenny Pickett, no matter how well Garrett Williams and Deuce Chestnut play, here's a guy who's thrown for 3,800 yards, 36 touchdowns, and he's been included, seriously or not, in some Heisman conversations here. I, mean, I know that debate has gotten scrambled from what it was preseason this year. It's been turned on its head, but he really has had that good of a season. He has more completions than Garrett Schrader has attempts this year. Uh, definitely the best quarterback in the ACC by a mile this year. And the encouraging thing for Pitt there is that he's really stepped up from last year. I mean, he only had 21 touchdowns combined last year. This year, he has 36 just through the air. And for Syracuse, it's a defense that has given up 41 points in each of its last two games. I just can't imagine this one is going to be pretty, especially on the secondary side of things. Yeah, Pickett and uh, Jordan Addison have been has had their their chemistry have just been incredible. 15 touchdowns to Addison this season and it's not slowing down that offense is incredible and we spoke about it that secondary for Syracuse is easily the worst part of the defense you have two pretty talented players in Garrett Williams and Deuce Chestnut guys that a lot of people coming into this year thought were going to be incredible after a season in which Garrett Williams showed everybody that he's coming to play and, and Deuce Chestnut a four-star recruit coming into this program he was supposed to be the guy against Ohio that interception he kind of showed everybody hey I am the guy but Definitely has slowed down. We've seen him get burned. We've seen Garrett Williams play lackluster. I think that Kenny Pickett is going to walk into the dome and absolutely annihilate the Syracuse defense. Now let's move over to Syracuse offense. In the last couple of games, you've had Garrett Schrader not be able to get over 100 passing yards. He's been terrible. And Sean Tucker's really been the only bright spot. Do you think they score more than 10 points against this defense? I don't know. I mean, they did last week against NC State, right? And the Wolfpack do have a pretty good defense. 
I think that they probably get more than 10 in this game, but certainly not more than 20, especially because the Pitt defense has a really good pass rush. They lead the conference in sacks. Syracuse did that for a while, but they've fallen off a little bit since that bye week where it seems like ever since then, SU just can't do anything right on either side of the ball. And like you said, on offense, it's almost like Louisville gave everybody else a blueprint if you're going to use that cliche, right? Because they're shutting down Syracuse through the air. SU, to begin with, doesn't have a very strong passing offense. They're covering well, and they're killing the option game for Syracuse. And when you don't have that for Garrett Schrader, he sometimes you know, has the RPO going where he can fake the give and run it himself and maybe throw the ball. It just takes away a lot when you contain him and also play good coverage. And that's exactly what Louisville and NC State have done the last two weeks. And I think Pitt arguably has a better defense than either of those two, certainly a better pass rush, as the numbers suggest. So I'm, I'm going to go with under, under 20, over 10 on that one. Yeah, and after NC State, both Schrader and Babers in, in the postgame press conference pointed uh, at, at Schrader's uh, ability to be in with good chemistry with his receivers and, and on the same page. Uh, there were plenty of guys open against the Wolf Pack that Schrader missed and plenty of plays that he could determine into positive yardage that he didn't. So look this week for Schrader to try and, and get with his receivers a little bit more. Courtney Jackson was open. Damian Alford was open. Sean Tucker was open on plenty of those checkdowns, and he never found any of them. Instead, he tried to run. He already took a sack. He didn't even throw the ball away. Uh, and that's ultimately what led to Syracuse's demise. The offense just couldn't get anything going. And you said that Louisville provided that blueprint. I'd argue it was Clemson. Back a couple of weeks ago, they showed that all you got to do is stack the box against this team because if Sean Tucker can't run, they can't pass. It doesn't matter. Trader cannot get the ball down the field. It it really doesn't matter because all you got to do is make sure Sean Tucker doesn't have the ball in his hands. And if you do, you just got to stack the box, take him down three yards, and it's fine. Yeah, I think we were all hoping against hope, too, that Clemson's defense was just talented enough to where they could do that and that not every team could pull that off. But it's been proven to be easier than we thought to bottle up the Syracuse offense. And it's it's discouraging to see that even this late in the season, Garrett Schrader still putting up these lines like he did early on, like his first start against Liberty. He didn't even complete 10 passes. And then now we're at the end of the season and you're still hoping that he can hit that mark. Still, you're not really thinking he's going to elevate it against any of these teams. You're just hoping he's going to give you enough. Yeah. And, and he hasn't, I mean, the guy has looked downright garbage. I'm not going to lie. So Syracuse made a decision to get rid of Tommy DeVito and go for it with Schrader because that run game does work very often, but not often enough to where Schrader can really be that guy. I'm willing to say it. I'm going to make this take and you might disagree Carter, but I don't think that Syracuse can go into next season with Garrett Schrader at quarterback. It just won't work. You need a guy who can throw the football. Garrett Schrader has shown time and time again, he cannot throw the football. He throws it like a 14-year-old who never learned how to throw a football. He just can't do it. He played wide receiver at Mississippi State. He coming and trying to be the number one guy at a Power 5 school. It's just not going to work. And you have some talent on the roster. Jacoby and Morgan has showed you that he can throw. And Justin Lampson, we haven't even seen him. He's supposed to be the next big kid. So where are those guys? Why does Garrett Schrader get to go out, trot out every single week and be terrible? Yeah, I mean, I can't say, well, I don't I don't have a, a crystal ball for the future, right? It, it's hard to say what's going to happen next year with the quarterback, but I can understand where you're coming from because Garrett Schrader has shown us what he can do 
but by now we also know quite a bit about what he cannot do, right? It, it's just, you know what you're going to get from him. And for a program that's still just like starving for that consistent bowl type, I mean, even just six or seven wins a season for Syracuse is great. You would take that right now. You'd sign for that. I just don't know if Garrett Schrader can get you there. Jacoby and Morgan, my lingering memories for, from him are the BC and Louisville games from 2020 where they lost both of them. And like he, he was fine, but he was still young. It's just, he's just a big question mark for me right now. And like you said, Lampson is an even bigger one for me. I don't know. They, they, aren't, they don't have anybody coming in who's going to, you know, just suddenly unseat Schrader like some big recruit. But I'll tell you this, you know, you just look at where Kenny Pickett is from. The guy's from Oakhurst, New Jersey. Isn't this the type of guy Syracuse used to get back in Absolutely. the day? You know, Pascaloni's the coach. They're just handpicking the best guys out of New Jersey and the Northeast. You know, if Syracuse had a better connection with its geographic area, if it still had that same stranglehold over New Jersey and like the surrounding states, they'd be getting guys like Kenny Pickett. And then we wouldn't even have to be talking about this right now. Exactly. Uh, I think you make a great point there. Babers has been rocked because of his poor recruiting efforts. I mean, Syracuse falls pretty close to the bottom of ACC recruiting just about every single season. And, and the media lets, lets you know because Babers came to this school. Syracuse wanted Dino Babers because of his recruiting ability. That was his big thing. And to give him some credit, he's gotten some really great three stars. Sean Tucker, Michael Jones, Marlo Wax, Stefan Thompson, all three stars. Cody Roscoe, a two-star transfer from McNeese State. He's done something, a lot of diamonds in the rough, but how about you go out there and get some of the superstars? And he's attempted it. Deuce Chestnut, a four-star. Tommy DeVito, a four-star. Those were two of the guys that were supposed to be Dino's big catches. We know now that Tommy DeVito was not that, and Deuce Chestnut has a, still has a chance to do it, uh, but we haven't seen him play incredibly this season. So still looking for a lot from the recruiting standpoint for Babers and the rest of his staff, but let's move on. I want your key to the game for Syracuse, and I want a prediction from you, Carter. Well, the obvious obvious key to the game here, at least for me, is that you have to at least keep Pickett and the guy you mentioned earlier, wide receiver Jordan Addison, under control. If Syracuse is going to win this game, they've got to hold Pickett under 300 yards, Addison under 100, preferably to keep him without a touchdown. But Addison leads the country and scores you know, from the receiving end. It's going to be tough. But you're not going to beat Pitt if you let them play the way they want to. And the way they want to play is they want to throw the ball. They, they think they can on Syracuse's secondary. Like we mentioned, the corners, guys who were supposed to be better than what they have been. Uh, it's just been a rough season for that position group. And if Syracuse is going to secure this last win and get themselves into a bowl in the final week and upset the current Coastal Division champion – they're going to have to keep Pitt's passing game in check. However, I personally don't think they're going to be able to do that. I think when you see a team like this that's lost its last two games by the combined score of 82 to 20, where they just seem like they're sliding down the flagpole towards a pretty disappointing thud of an ending, I just don't think they're going to suddenly rally the troops and come up with something great here. I think we're looking at Pitt 30, Syracuse 14. I don't really disagree all that much. My key to the game for Syracuse, I'd say they've got to make that offense a little bit more versatile. You've got to diversify that offense because 
giving Sean Tucker the ball up the middle or having Garrett Schrader just try and launch a 25-yard pass and underthrow whoever he's uh, receiver is just isn't going to work out. You've got to get the ball in Sean Tucker's hands outside of the tackle box because that's the only way that Syracuse is going to win the game. Sean Tucker is far and away going to be the best player on the field. Get him the ball in open space. That's what you got to do. Uh, I'd say Pitt takes this one as well. I'll give it uh, 37 to 14. I think that's going to be my score. Kenny Pickett is just going to launch nukes inside the carrier dome. Uh, all right, we got to take a short break. On the other side, we'll talk some Syracuse basketball. Can the Orange get it done in the Bahamas? Here are our thoughts in a few. This is Fizz Radio. Back here on Fizz Radio, Matt Bonaparte and Carter Bainbridge with you. We talked Syracuse football. They got a chance at bowl eligibility, their last one of the season against Pitt this Saturday. But before we get there, it is time for the battle for Atlantis. Syracuse basketball is down in the Bahamas trying to wipe that Colgate loss off of their mindset. But before we do that, let's go back to that Colgate loss. 100-85, to the Raiders took it inside the Dome. That's just embarrassment. 59 years or so. I believe that's the number, right? Yeah, 59 59. years that Colgate had not beaten Syracuse. I mean, wiped off the – I mean, it's terrible. It's gone. Yeah, that's it's it's especially hard because you never want to be the people who are watching the team covering the team when that type of loss happens. This, this is a non-conference opponent who it's basically been an annuity for almost 60 years that just keeps on paying 54 straight games over the course of 59 years. The last time Syracuse had lost to these guys, February 1962. Oh my and goodness. then they, they, they get out to a couple different 15 oh. point leads in the first half. And it let it just wide. wash away from them. Yeah, even bigger than that. 17 to 2 right off the bat. I mean, I stopped watching at that point. Guilty as charged. I thought it was basically a done deal. But uh, Syracuse, bad defense, mainly my takeaway from that game. Just just not a lot they, they could do, first of all, about a team hitting 18 three-pointers over their heads. I mean, let's, let's, let's look at this objectively, first of all, where – you're facing a team that shot 43 three-pointers. They were really pulling the trigger often, and they make 18 of them. I just think if, if an ACC team or even a top 25 team, or not a conference, does this to SU, we'd probably just all tip our caps, right? Because this, yeah. that's, how you, that's how you beat the 2-3 zone. You just keep hitting exactly. from deep. You have to shoot well and hit. Just because a Patriot League team did it and a Patriot League team that's been a punching bag for 60 years – it doesn't mean that we should all be like wallowing in misery about how bad Syracuse suddenly is. Yes. It's a really tough loss, especially early in the season where you thought you looked good against Lafayette and then Drexel. Of course, none of these teams are Olympic squads, but at the same time, you're trying to get off to a good start. I think it's an unfortunate loss, but if you were to just look at the box score and ignore the team name, I think it makes a little bit more sense. Sure. But I don't know. I mean, like you said, it's a Patriot League team. There, was, there should have been no chance that Colgate could get close to 100 points inside the carrier dome. I mean, that's blasphemous at the end of the day. Uh, and, and like you said, it came down to exactly what beats the 2-3 zone. It was shooting and, and great passing, but against a team like Colgate, this 2-3 zone should have been a lot better. Uh, here's what you have to understand, though. A loss like this was inevitable. 
you have so many new faces on this team. Jimmy Beheim, Cole Swider, Benny Williams, Samir Torrance. Nobody's going to be perfect at the 2-3 zone right away. A loss, uh, the, a game in which, in which they should not have lost or even come close to losing was going to happen because it always does. I mean, think of the Pitt loss last year for the loss by 20 or the Duke loss or the Georgia Tech loss. They shouldn't have lost any of those games. But, of course, it happened. And it's probably going to happen again this season because Jim Beheim's going to go to work and practice this week and, and, and try and improve them the best he can. But it's going to take some time. But you best believe by the end of the season, Jim and the rest of this coaching staff is going to sculpt this roster into the best possible team it can be. And they're going to be a solid team. But you had to understand that this was coming because Cole Swider is 6'9", 220. He's built like Hakeem Warwick, but he plays like a shooting guard. That's your issue. So you need to get him working. You need to get Jesse Edwards in, in, in a spot where he can really successfully and confidently anchor that zone. And Benny Williams has to go out there and make a difference when he's on the floor. Yeah, and I think if you're going to be concerned about anything with this game, there's certainly a, a lot to be concerned about. But when you think about the losses last year that felt similar to this one where Syracuse ultimately got blown out and just overwhelmed defensively, a lot of the time – it was just due to the really good play of one star player. I mean, Justin Champagny last year immediately comes to mind for Pitt, had just yep. a monstrous game where the Panthers just ran Syracuse out of the building. With this one, Colgate altogether just had a, a good shooting game. And like you said, it, it's hard to expect the transfers to come in and play well in, in the zone right away, especially when they didn't have great games. I mean, Cole Swider didn't even do what he was supposed to do against Colgate. He was 0 for 4 from three-point range, which is his trademark. And I'll just say he hasn't been good the whole season. He's 3 for 15 from deep. He has not been great so far with that. But Jimmy Beheim didn't have a good game. He was 3 for 10 after muscling a bunch of tough shots up against Drexel and being the guy who kind of made things go when the team went cold. He didn't really do anything. And overall, it's easy to heap blame on the centers on this team, Jesse Edwards and Frank Anselm, just because sometimes they just lack physicality. I know it's, it's tough to, to criticize Edwards, especially because he's in a spot he probably didn't expect to be in with Barama Sidibe injured again, which is just really unfortunate. Um, but at the same time, historically, if you look at this Syracuse defense, it works best when it has good defensive guards which I don't think it has really either of those right now in Buddy or Joe Girard. I just don't think either of them are, are strong enough defensive players to play this zone the way uh, Jim Beheim wants. I and think then you need, that, you, need that, you need that big power forward center type who just kind of makes everything go. Jesse Edwards just isn't that guy. I, at least he isn't yet. He just, even though he put on some weight over the offseason, he just needs more development. They're just not there right now. And I think – like you said, a loss like this was inevitable, and maybe it's better that it came early. We just we aren't sure yet if that's the case. Yeah, and Syracuse in recent years has been forced to switch identity from being a team that's predicated on defense back when you had guys like Fab Mello in the anchor of that zone. You had Michael Carter-Williams at the top, and you could really just say, all right, all we need to do is go out there and score 60 points. And that's what Jim Beheim could do because he knew that his defense was going to get the job done. Now, with the, the personnel that Syracuse has, you can't go out there and think have that same mindset because they can't do that, like you mentioned. Joe Girard and Buddy Beheim at the top of that zone aren't that 
that factor that could change a game. And Jesse Edwards down low certainly isn't that. So now they've had to transition into being a team that has some of the best shooters in the nation. And they probably have a top 15 shooting team in the country. I think that you could comfortably say that. I mean, these guys can shoot the lights out. But what's the, what does that do if you're going to let up 100 points to Colgate? Well, they're not, they're not going to give up 100 points every game. At least we hope not, right? Um, and, and this is a good shooting team. I mean, I still like this offense better than last year's for sure. I, I just – this defense, I have faith that they're going to get better. I'm not going to just they will. slap Absolutely. the label on it that they're just going to be dreadful the whole season. But at the same time, you give up 100 points, you're bound to look at the defense, especially when you score 85 points. But Syracuse hit 22 free throws in that game. It's not like their offense was just scorching the court. They didn't shoot that well. Even Buddy Beheim was not that great from shooting threes. That's what this team is trying to do to score points. Buddy Beheim and Joe Gerard were the only two guys out of the whole team who hit threes in that game. Everybody else was 0 for 9, including Cole Swider, including Benny Williams and whoever, Samir Torrance off the bench, another guy who's really struggling to just get baskets. Um, like you said, this team is one that's that's living on offense right now. And I think we saw both sides of the ball kind of fall through against Colgate, where the offense died by the three when they weren't making it. And then the defense just had a really poor game against yeah. a hot team, I may add. Now let's look forward a little bit. The Battle for Atlantis tournament starts today at 5 p.m. Syracuse takes on Virginia Commonwealth, a team that has impressed just about nobody this season, two and two on the year. Their, their biggest win was a 57-point – they scored 57 points against the team St. Joseph's. So if Syracuse doesn't win this game, then you start to panic. Uh, I don't think that there's a chance that they lose, but, hey, in a year like this one where Colgate just threw 100 on them, you never really know. Uh, but I predict a win here, Carter. How about you? I definitely do. Over over Virginia Commonwealth University. If anybody out there doesn't know what that stood for, well, you learn something every day. Uh, the, probably the easiest draw of the whole tournament, I would say, just Easy. in my opinion, because I just, yeah, VCU so far, just not an impressive team. They lost to Wagner by like 20. Yeah, I, I, they, they've made a couple tournaments over the last couple of years. I mean, they, they, they were, were in it last year. year. They were in it last year, but they couldn't play because of COVID, which, sure. you know, that's just too bad. That story was but, tough. The, the biggest stat here, I think by a mile, is how bad this VCU offense is. 50.8 points per game. That is the worst mark out of the entirety of Division One. Over 350 schools. It's, it's the worst. I mean, and then you look at the other side of the ball. The Rams have the fourth best defense, scoring defense. So it's one of the more, one of the more yeah, unbalanced but, teams so yeah, far. Both these yeah. figures are going to even out. Yeah, Both I those things are going to even out. But right yeah. now, like you said, they are not shooting well. And it's funny that we just brought up how the old type of Syracuse teams under Jim Beheim would be those type of, you know, let's get 60 points and then just park the bus and, you know, grind them down defensively. It kind of reminds me of these old Syracuse teams, right? I mean, they're just trying – this VCU team's just trying to score points. They feel pretty good yeah. about their defense. It's just a matter of how much they can score. They're good defensively. They move at a slower pace. I just don't know how well it's going to match up with Syracuse. I mean, you are playing against an orange team that's smarting defensively. So there's, there's your big matchup for the night. You may want to keep your eye on, but you're talking about a Rams team that's shooting just over 26%. I mean, from three point range, not, not yeah. in field goals total, but you know, they're no threat to just bomb Syracuse like Colgate did. So if you're Syracuse, you ought to feel pretty good about this. And 
if I'm going to lay a prediction out there score-wise, I'll go Syracuse 76, VCU 59. I don't think it's going to be all that close. Yeah, I think Syracuse will smoke them. Uh, a similar, I don't like doing score predictions for basketball because it gets so nitpicky, but it'll be a large margin, and I think the Orange take W. Uh, but let's look at the rest of the bracket for this tournament. You've got Michigan State, Loyola Chicago playing as we record, and then you also have Auburn, UConn, Baylor, Arizona State. If Syracuse wins, they most likely will play Baylor as Baylor has taken on Arizona State. Baylor, the reigning national champions, and currently number six in the country. So that would be a tough game, uh, definitely for the Orange, if they did match up against Baylor in the second round. If they matched up again, if they lost to VCU and played Arizona State, then we have a whole other conversation uh, because that would be probably the worst loss on the year. But Arizona State, another pretty easy opponent. Uh, if they do win, like we, we both expect them to against Baylor, do you think, or against VCU, do they have a shot against Baylor? I don't know. Um, obviously, Baylor is very good. They just did win the national title. And they're, they're getting served up an easy test in Arizona State to start with. It's a, you know, a Pac-12 opponent. They're 2-2, two and two, and ASU so far this season has also lost to UC Riverside. I mean, there's, there's an unimpressive loss on that resume, too. Beat. Yeah. Um, at the same time, you know, the Bears are they're ranked number six. I mean, they've got um, a really talented freshman guard in Kendall Brown, who is just shooting the lights out right now, averaging 15 a game, shooting almost 70 percent. I just think Baylor's just got the talent. And right now they've got the shooting capability to give Syracuse at least a very hard time and probably take them down. I mean, this is the matchup that we're all thinking is probably going to happen. Syracuse and Baylor in that second round. And then, of course, we can't tell for game three, at least not for another day. I, I don't think so. I, I think Baylor probably beats Syracuse. That doesn't blow them out, but probably somewhere between, I don't know, nine and 20 points. Yeah, and a maximum of three wins possible for Syracuse in this tournament. They win three games with the champions of the tournament. And coming into this tournament, they're, I think, the second uh, – favorite behind Baylor, which I was pretty surprised by have seeing that Michigan State, Loyola Chicago, UConn are all in this tournament. Vegas picked Syracuse number two behind Baylor. So that's pretty impressive for the Orange. Um, I mean, yeah, of, all, I, of all the teams out of this entire tournament field, sorry, out of all this, out of this whole field, I mean, are there any other teams besides Baylor who you think would prevent Syracuse from winning this whole thing, even if they get past the second round? I could see I think, UConn being a problem. A little old Big East matchup down in the Bahamas. Like the yeah, Syracuse beat enough. UConn back in 2015 to win this tournament. Um, but anyway, I think Syracuse probably wins a couple games here. I think they'll take this one against VCU, probably a loss against Baylor, and then I think they can pick up a win against another team in this tournament. Carter, do you have a prediction on how many wins they'll have? Uh, I think just like you said, I think Syracuse probably comes away with two. I think it might be un unrealistic at this point to expect them to to take down Baylor. Um, obviously, SU not in midseason form yet. Hard, you know, hard to tell what that's going to be this year. But at least early on in the season, they're not playing a spectacular brand of basketball. They're hurting a little bit coming off the Colgate loss. I I can see them beating the Rams, a team that just hasn't been able to get its offense together. But no shame in losing to the defending national champion. And then game three, obviously, you want to come home with a win finish out strong. I think Syracuse can beat whoever they face off in that final round. I agree. 
All right, we'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll swing back to football. You'll hear a, a snippet of an interview I did with John McGonigal on the Pit Post Gazette. You're listening to Orange Fizz Radio. Welcome back to Fizz Radio. You'll now hear a snippet of an interview I did with John McGonigal, a part of my summer school series in which I talked to media members around the ACC about each football team. The first question I asked John McGonigal, the Pitt Post-Gazette, was what makes Pat Narduzzi so special? I think the biggest thing with Narduzzi is that he provides stability to this program uh, after so many years of, you know, they had Paul Christen here, they had Todd Graham, they had, it almost became a revolving door of coaches after Dave Wanstead. And, you know, he, he, like, he's brought stability and not only just him himself, but, you know, his staff, uh, you know, guys like Charlie Partridge, who was one of the best uh, defensive line recruiters in the country. Uh, and when they leave, when, when they have assistants leave, like they had two this past offseason, uh, they bring in a couple of young guys who are really you know, highly regarded in the profession. And Ryan Manilak, the linebackers coach, and Brennan Marion, a wide receivers coach. Um, so there's just, you know, there's a good mix of, on this staff and there's a good culture. Uh, you rarely have you know guys getting in trouble or you know leaving the team. They're, they weren't really affected by the transfer portal, um, and uh, I think that kind of speaks to what Narduzzi has going on uh, in Pittsburgh. And Kenny Pickett is back for his fifth season at Pitt. He said at the ACC kickoff that he certainly developed since he got here in 2017, saying, quote, I was just a kid then, 18 years old, coming out of high school. In my fifth year now, I have a lot more experience, and I'm excited to lead this team one more time. How valuable is it to have a guy like Pickett who's extremely talented, a bona fide leader, and an experienced winner? Yeah, no, it's super valuable. Um, obviously, there was a lot of buzz, a lot of excitement and anticipation after he announced last December that he was not going into the NFL draft and uh, decided to come back for this 2021 super senior season. And uh, I, I had a chance to sit down with him back in June one-on-one uh, -on -one and had a really good conversation just about his journey to this point. And you know, he mentioned being a kid in that 2017 uh, upset of Miami uh, that the first game that he ever started at Pitt uh, Miami was number two in the country and it was such a big game for him but he's grown since then he went through uh, a 2018 season that had its ups and downs and they won a coastal uh, title 2019 uh, getting into a new offense with Mark Whipple and then last year you know he dealt with injury uh, he, he messed his knee or not his knee excuse me his ankle up pretty good uh, at Boston College and played uh played through pain towards the end of the, the season. And he didn't want to go out that way. Uh, so he's a leader. He's a guy who has NFL talent. And he's someone that Pitt is going to be relying on heavily to uh, guide this team to maybe its, you know, its first nine-win season since 2009. Yeah, and as for Pitt's running game, Vincent Davis will also be back in the backfield. The five foot eight ball carrier was pretty solid last season in an offense that features the pass a lot more than the run. How important is a solid running game to this Panthers offense? Yeah, that's, that's the biggest question coming into the season around this offense. Uh, they have the receivers. They have hopefully what uh, that they think is a talented uh, tight end when healthy and Lucas Kroll. But it's the running game that's the biggest question. It's the running game that's been the biggest question the last two seasons. And uh, you mentioned Vincent Davis. Right now, Israel Vanakanda is the guy gotcha. who um, who will be you know the lead back or at least projected to be the lead back. Um, you know, he was a he's a sophomore after playing in a handful of games last season. Uh, but he's really shown a lot during camp, uh, you, this past spring camp and fall camp, uh, to really earn the job. And Vincent Davis will still be involved there, but Izzy Banacanda, number two, is the guy to watch. 
And as for that passing attack, Jordan Addison was the number one name to know in 2020 and will most likely be one of those top names to know again in 2021 at the ACC kickoff in Charlotte. Addison talked about how important it is to have Pickett back, saying, quote, having my quarterback back means a lot. My freshman season being as good as it was gives me a lot of momentum to keep going and keep succeeding. What can you say about the relationship between these two? Kind of seems like a Luke Skywalker Yoda situation with Pickett, now the fifth year senior and Addison the sophomore. Hey, well, I, I like any Star Wars reference anyone <laughs> is, is able to work in. Um, no, I totally get that vibe. Um, you know, he's he's still a young guy. Uh, he was a true freshman last year when he had 60 catches and over 600 yards. And, you know, there's a good relationship there between Kenny and Jordan. But, you know, Kenny also has a good relationship with uh, Taysier Mack a guy who had over 60 catches and 700 yards in 2019, uh, but, you know, dealt with in-season hernia and ankle surgeries last year. He's fully healthy and ready to go. Uh, Jared Wayne is a guy uh, that, you know, Kenny Pickett told me that he feels he can throw to with a blindfold on. And, you know, Wayne last year was dealing with a lot of, you know, COVID protocols and he was missing a lot of practices because of contact tracing. And so he's hoping that he's able to stay on the field and, uh, and have a good season this year. And even guys like Shaki Jacoby, Jalen Barden, um, this is as deep as Pitt has ever been at receiver uh, in Pickett's time, and that was the reason why he came back. And on the other side of the ball, Pitt was spectacular, 37th in the nation in terms of opponents' points per game. Of course, you have to take those statistics from last year with a grain of salt. You know, it's still- if you want to hear more of that interview, head over to orangefizz.net to hear the entire thing or go over to our SoundCloud is also Orange Fizz. On the other side of the break, Carter and I will wrap up by giving you Fizz feedback as well as some fictional Fizz lines. Stick around. Back here on Fizz Radio, we're wrapping up now. Matt Bonaparte and Carter Bainbridge. We've got fictional Fizz for you and Fizz feedback. The good old, old reliables, I'd like to say. Uh, All right. Carter, this is your first time ever playing fictional fizz, so I'll give you the rules. I'll give you three fictional betting lines. You tell me if it's you're going to take the over or the under. It's very simple. Um, so let's start off. The first one that I've conjured up, Kenny Pickett pass yards in Syracuse's game against Pitt on Saturday. Will Kenny Pickett have over or under 335 pass yards? Now, keep in mind, He's had 519 pass yards against Miami, 416 against Duke, 346 against North Carolina, and 340 against Virginia. That's just his last four games. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I'd be a fool if I took the under. Well, the only way I can see Kenny Pickett not getting that figure is if he is taken out of the game by that's what I was Narduzzi. Thinking. That, that's well, that's what complicates things there, right? Because Pitt has already won the coastal division in the ACC. I mean, they've got it wrapped up. Gosh, I mean, that's, that's a tough one. If it was, you know, the week before I, I still, I think he plays long enough to get over, but not by a lot. I'll take the over there, but close. I could see Pitt killing Syracuse by half and doesn't play the second half. What about that? Okay. Then you're shook. Yeah. All right. True. We're moving on to number two. I think I'd also take the over just for the record. Um, all right, number two, this is Joe Girard average points per game in the Battle for Atlantis tournament. So just over these three games, how many points will Joe Girard average? The line is set at 18 and a half. Currently the hottest uh, player on Syracuse basketball. 
I'll, I'll go under. I'll go okay. under for that one. But again, this is, I would say this is going to be a close one. I can, I can definitely imagine Gerard averaging over 15. Um, maybe, maybe not exactly that high. I mean, it's just tough, especially with a bunch of other guys on that team who can't shoot the basketball. I think if Syracuse is going well, they're getting the ball plenty to Jimmy Bayheim, Swider, Buddy Bayheim, and everybody's kind of getting it on the action. I think if Gerard scores a ton of points, it's indicative of the idea that Syracuse isn't playing well because everybody else is cold. I don't know. I, I know VCU has a good defense, and I know Baylor does as well. I mean, they are national, defending national champions after all. But I think Gerard, unless he tries to start playing hero ball, is going to go under that figure. All right. He is currently uh, scoring 19.3 points per game on the season. So he's been pretty lights out for Syracuse. Uh, just behind Buddy Behan scoring 20. All right, our third and final line, Sean Tucker rush yards in this final game against Pitt. I've got the over-under set at 150. Is he going to show out in the last game in the Dome of the year? I, I say yes. I, I'll go over with that one. Um, again, because of the resting players factor. Um, like you said, I could imagine a scenario where Pitt is just – running Syracuse at halftime, even at home. I just think these two teams are headed very different ways. Syracuse is really sliding to end this season, and I can just imagine a very ugly final game, similar to what we saw last year with Notre Dame, where even though the Irish were a great team, I mean, better than Pitt is right now, Syracuse just played poorly, and, and you knew there was nothing they were really going to do. I think Tucker is kept in this game long enough to where he hits that because I just think after watching Dino Babers and listening to him for long enough, I think he's the type of guy who likes to keep his guys in and let them accomplish things, even when, you know, the game might be lost. And some people might criticize that. I, I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, it's fine. I think Tucker's had an amazing season and if he gets to chew up some yards in a game that's out of hand, I won't mind it. So I think he will get that 150 mark, especially against a pit defense that might be taking its main guys, sack artists out of the game, especially late in the second half. Tucker has hit that mark five times this year, most recently against Boston College, where he ran for over 200 yards. That was a pretty impressive game for the still freshman tailback. Uh, all right, I will move over to good old Fizz Feedback. If you want to be a part of Fizz Feedback, just go over to our Twitter usually on Wednesdays is when we record these, so we'll have a chance to vote in our polls. We've got three polls up on Twitter. First one says Syracuse plays Pitt in the final week of the regular season this Saturday. Can the Orange achieve bowl eligibility in their last chance? 60% of Fizzers say no way. Although you have to give the credit to the 39.5% that say, yeah, you got to believe. Uh, two Sports Talk with the reply said, if we can't believe, what can we do? Love that. Yeah, getting, in, getting into a little philosophy there. I, I do like that, but I just been watching this team all year. I, I just get the feeling that these last two games in particular have knocked them to the mat pretty hard. I, I just can't see them beating Pitt even if they, you know, take out their starters earlier than we think and, and give the Orange a chance to get back in and play the backups, I just don't know if this team has the, the stamina to take down a top 20 pit team and then get itself ready for a bowl. I mean, that's not to discount how badly the players want it, 
but at this point in the year, you know, the, the close losses in October, the back-to-back-to-back field goal games against the conference teams hurt badly enough, but you just got raced by back-to-back conference teams, Louisville, NC State just got blown out. I just can't see it being done here. I mean, you'd yeah. like to believe, but I've got a hard time doing it. Chauncey McCollins also replied, I don't think we have the firepower to hang with their offense. Combine that with stout run D and it'll get ugly fast. I'll still watch because I'm a glutton for pain. I feel like all Syracuse fans probably are at this point, uh, but let's move on. The second poll today marks the start of the Battle for Atlantis tournament. The Bahamas, how many wins does Syracuse pull out in Nassau? Everybody agrees with us, Carter. 44% say two. Uh, I think that is the clear answer. A couple wins, but Baylor's going to be a tough one. All right, our final poll, who will have a breakout performance at the Battle for Atlantis? Do you have an answer for this one, Carter? Gosh, hard to say. Um, Well, I'm hoping that it's Cole Swider because so far this season hasn't been shooting the three very well. I mean, if you weren't paying too much attention, to Syracuse basketball so far. You would just think based on the way he's been talked about that Swider's been hitting everything and he's been looking great, but this just hasn't really been the case. He's three for 15 so far this season. He was 0 for four against Colgate. And I think it's, you got to keep in mind, here's a guy who was not a starter at Villanova. Now he's coming over and playing, not just starting for Syracuse, but we know how much Jim Beheim is reluctant to use his bench. So if you're a starter at Syracuse, you're going to play, and it might be just wearing them out a little bit. You get tired towards the end of the game. You can't knock the shot down. But there comes a point in time where you know this guy is good at this. He was good at it at Villanova. It's what he came in to do. They're going to start falling. I think against a team like v- against a team like VCU, excuse me, where I think Syracuse will be ahead for most of it towards the end, probably ahead big. He'll get a chance you know, to hit some shots during the game and maybe shake off the rust. At least that's my hope for this tournament. Agreed. I think so as well. And so do the Fizz fan base. 62% say Cole Swider will break out. We've got some Cole fans in the replies, but also some Jesse Edwards believers. You like that for Jesse. All right, that does it for Orange Fizz Radio this week. The part of Bainbridge. I'm Matt Bonaparte. If you want more of our coverage, follow us on Twitter at Orange Fizz or go to our website, orangefizz.net. We'll see you next time.